0: You're listening to The Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll continue in our new series with Episode 11, A New Way to Live Connected. This episode delves into the importance of the church and its identity as both the bride and body of Christ. Let's get started. Good morning, family. God bless each and every one of you. Let's give our worship and arts ministry a great big hand clap of praise. Amen. it's a joy to see each and every one of you and we uh in our second week back into the campus are are still kind of getting our legs up under us and uh, working out a few kinks but it's just good to be together amen it's just good to be together and to all of our online family wherever you are joining us from god bless you we are honored that you are connected and that you are part of our 8am worship service there are a number of our twc family that are in and around alabama we've got our extended family as far away as California and London and South Africa. Good morning to each and every one of you. We are so honored to have you with us. We have been, for the last several weeks, studying the Word of God, learning more about the new things that God is doing. And today, we're going to continue that study, but we're going to look specifically at a new way to live And the subtitle is Connected. Somebody say Connected. Now, this is important, and the dramatic skit that you just observed really sets the tone for what we're going to look at this morning. Because when it comes to studying the Word of God, particularly in the New Testament, you begin to stumble on a phrase that is used over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul uses this phrase, and this phrase is one another. The Apostle Paul uses this phrase over 40 times in uh, many of his New Testament writings. Now, biblical scholars, when they talk about the importance of these one another's, that's what they're known as in the scriptures, they're known as the one another commands. But biblical scholars all agree that In particular, in the New Testament, there's somewhere between 60 and 100 of these one another commands in the Bible. And the only way that we, as the people of God, can live out these biblical commands, these one another's, is that we have to be connected to others. We have to be committed to doing life together with other people. The sheer number of these one another commands prevents us from being able to live out these commands if we decide to do life alone. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of these one another's. We're not going to look at all of them. We don't have a uh, hundred weeks left in the year. And, but I do want to take some time intentionally over the next several weeks, and we're going to look at a few of these one another commands in scripture because these commands help us to understand what it means at its core, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that many of us think of ourselves as members. Others of you may think of yourselves as visitors. Our online family, you may consider yourself a viewer. But that's not what the Bible calls us to be. That's not what Jesus told us that we were supposed to be. We are commanded, we are called to be disciples. Not members, not, not, not visitors, not viewers. We are called to be disciples. And here's the thing about a disciple. Disciples live interdependent lives, not independent lives. It's important, so let me say that again. Disciples live an interdependent life and not an independent life. This is why the first one another's that we're going to look at this morning comes from Romans chapter 12. I want you to Uh, Meet me in Romans chapter 12, and as always, each week our teaching notes are out on the TWC app, and you can follow along with us. In Romans chapter 12, and in verse 5, it says this, it says, So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Then if you drop down to verse 10... Of Romans 12, verse 10, and the A clause of verse 10, there is another, one another. And so you see these one anothers that Paul is talking about in Romans 12 and 10. Paul says, Be devoted to one another in love. In these two one anothers, the Apostle Paul is stressing the importance of being connected to a local church. When he says that we are members of one another, when he says that we ought to be devoted to one another, the Apostle Paul is stressing to the church at Rome the importance of being connected to a local church. Now, this is a big deal, particularly in this day and time when so many people feel like they don't need a local church. In our culture today, the local church is increasingly looked at with skepticism and disdain. So many people look at the local church as an inconvenience to their weekends. So many people look at the local church kind of like we look at Netflix to find a movie to watch. What will best suit my needs? What will entertain me? What am I in the mood for. That's often how we approach the local church because we don't understand the significance of the local church, why God created it, why Jesus died for it, and why the apostle Paul commands us to be part of it. But that's what we're going to take a few minutes this morning to look at. Amen? So first, we have to start with this family. The church is not man's idea it's God's idea teach Bishop I intend to the church is not man's idea it's God's idea the church wasn't started by man it was created by God let me show it to you in Ephesians 1 meet me there in Ephesians 1 and in verse 3 it says praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him, here it is, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. And in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now, we got to break that down because in the New Testament, whenever you see the English word church, it's ekklesia in the Greek, and ekklesia means the called out. That's what the word ekklesia means, the called out. So get this. The church has never been a building. It has always been people that God called out of the world to be holy and blameless and to be his family. That's the church. The church was never about a building per se, but the church is a group of believers that have been called out of the world before the foundations of the world. God predestined us to be called out, to be holy, to be blameless, and to be his family. That's the church. That's what the apostle Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter one, that before the world was created, God said, I already know who I'm going to call out to be holy and blameless, and to be in my family, that's the church. So here is the million-dollar question. Since we, as believers, are the ones who've been called out, why do we spend so much time trying to fit in? Get this. Besides the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, besides the Gospels, every other book in the New Testament is about the local church. You didn't get that, so I'm going to say it to you again. Besides the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every other book in the New Testament is about the local church. Every book other than the Gospels in the New Testament is about the local church. It was either written to leaders of the local church, Titus and Timothy and James were leaders of the local church, or the book's were to local churches themselves the church at rome the church at corinth the church at ephesus the church at thessalonica or the books contained historical information and instructions for the local church so get this besides the gospels every other book in the new testament is about the local church that's how important the local church is. And I know, just by the way, if some of you looking at me now, you're like, well, I just, I just don't know if I understand this. Bishop, you got to do a little bit more work and break this down. Well, I intend to. So number one, why is this important? Because the church is the bride of Christ. Number one, the church is the bride of Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter five and verse 22. We're going to start there and let's go to work. It says this, it says, wives... Submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body for which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself after all. No one ever hated their own body, but they feed it and care for their body just as Christ does the what? Church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Oh, this passage, y'all, is so important for several reasons. One of of the most important things that we have to see right away that the Apostle Paul is is teaching us here is that God didn't get his inspiration for loving the church from marriage. No, 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 no. God created marriage as an illustration for his love for the church. Got to say that again. I think I'm going too fast. What Paul is teaching, when he ends and says, this is a profound mystery, y'all thought I was just talking about marriage, he says, but I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. He's saying that, that get this, God didn't create marriage um, to say, "Oh, look at that. God created marriage because one of the things he wanted people to see when they saw a couple that was in love with one another, he says, I want y'all to see an illustration of how much I love the church. So, so, whenever you see a couple that is head over heels and smitten and in love with one another, he's saying, that's how much I love the church. That's why that language, husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her is so important. This literally means that Jesus endured the pain of the cross and gave up his life went through everything being beaten and bruised for the church. He went through everything that he did on the cross to determine his love for the church. He says, I want y'all to see how much I love the church. I'm doing this to demonstrate my love for the church. One of my favorite verses is Romans 5 and 8 when it says, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet One translation says, in sin. Another translation says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Wrap your mind around that. He didn't say, now I'm going to wait until y'all clean yourselves up and put yourselves together. He says, while you are still in sin, I, I am giving my life up because I'm demonstrating how much I love you. Not just you individually, but the church, the body of Christ, the group of believers that I called out of the world to be in my family. So this ought to remind us then that Christ loves flawed, sinful, messed up folk. That's who makes up the church. Thank you for the three claps I got right there. (laughs) But here's the point. That's who he loves. That's who he gave his life up for. And the passion... And his love for his bride, the church, has not diminished over the years. He is just as in love now with his bride as he was thousands upon thousands of years ago. But here's the question. Do we love what he loves? Since, since Jesus loves the church that much, we ought to love what he loves. See, God is not asking something, He's not asking us to, to love something that He doesn't love. No, no, He's not saying, I don't want you to, I He's not saying I want you to love something I don't love. He's saying, no, I love the church this much, but do you love the church like I love the church? So so we really don't have a big excuse for not loving the church, particularly when, you, when we say, well, because the church is not perfect. And and the church, the church has got flaws. Well, the truth is, you're not nearly as perfect as, as God thinks we should be, but he still loves us anyway. And that's the same thing that God is saying about his bride. He's saying that the bride, the, the church of Jesus Christ, my bride, I know it's flawed, I know it's messed up, I know it's not perfect, but I, I, I went to the cross and gave my life for my bride. You know, over the years, I was doing the math just yesterday. We've been 16 years as a church, and then prior to me helping to establish this church, I was a staff pastor for 13 years, and then I was in ministry as a young uh, teenager a little bit before that. So I'm a little over 30 years doing this, and, and I've heard over the years of very interesting things that people have said. I've heard people say things like, I love Jesus, but I just can't stand the church. But this is like somebody saying to me, Bishop, I love you. But I just can't stand your wife. But my wife and I are one. You can't really love me if you don't love my wife. This is the same problem when people say, I love the Lord, but I just don't love the church. But but I've learned over the years that, that one of the big reasons why. People don't love the church. Oh, it's going to get tight in here. Y'all already not saying nothing to me. Since I'm here, let me just go on and go to the deep end of the pool. I've learned over the years that one of the reasons why people love the Lord, but they don't love the church, and, and really you can't do either without the other. So in truth, they really don't love the Lord. They really don't love the church because instead of loving the church and loving Jesus, what they really do is they date Jesus and they date the church. I'm here, so let me just go ahead and lean into it. They, they, they really just date Jesus and date the church. And let me tell you how I know that, because you are looking at a recovered serial dater. I, I've had an incredible marriage for 17 years. My wife is amazing. We have a great marriage. But I was petrified of marriage, because growing up as a child, all I saw were marriages that didn't work marriages that that were were just dysfunctional and unhealthy and so I was I was really afraid the Lord had to deliver me because I was super afraid of marriage I felt like that if I if I marry then I'm gonna end up with a messed up marriage because that's all I had seen so what I did was I said you know what I'm not gonna commit but I'm I'm gonna date well Hallelujah. I was a serial dater. I'm telling you, I wouldn't commit to nobody for nothing, but I would date you. Oh, I mean, I would date very well. And there's some things about, about dating that I learned that I had to let go of in order to commit to be a good husband. Because there's some, there's some attitudes or ways of thinking that a serial dater has. And it's the same thing for people who date the church and date Jesus. What does a church dater look like? I'll give you a couple of examples. A church dater has a me-centered attitude. They go to church for what they can get. Social interaction, programs. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, activities. Oh, you guys are doing something for the kids? Okay, great. That's a me-centered attitude. The common question for the church dater is what can the church do for me? Oh, man, it's kind of tight in here. Here's another uh, indication of a church data. They are independent. Number two, they're independent. They go to church because, yeah, I know it's Sunday. I know we're supposed to long go online and go to church. That's what Christians are supposed to do. But they are not going to get involved, especially with people. They're not really concerned about God's bigger picture and why they need to be connected to a local church. They will go through the motions. They'll say, oh, it's great praise and worship. But they are not going to invest themselves in relationships or in service in the church because it's about them. A church data has a me-centered attitude. I'll tell you another one. They're independent. And thirdly, they're critical. They, they, got, they got no allegiance. And they're quick to find fault with the church. See? See how they acting? See? See what I heard? See what they're talking about on social media? Mm-hmm. I knew it. I knew it. They treat the church with a consumer mentality. They're looking for the best product for their best price of a Sunday morning. (laughs) They're kind of fickle, and they're not invested for the long term. It's kind of like when you are dating, and, and, and ladies, you understand this, and your boyfriend's got a wandering eye. You know, I mean, they're good with you, but then let, let somebody else walk down the street that maybe has a little bit of a better shape and they start saying, that's, that's what a church dater will do. What I want you to understand is that the church is the bride of Christ. Jesus is married to the church. And one of the reasons the Bible says that he even created marriage was for you to see and for I to see a visible representation of how much he loves the church. So with all of that in mind, let's reflect back on the marriage ceremony that we saw on the stage. Because when you think about those vows, when you think about those vows, I, I, John, take thee, Stephanie, or what have you, to be my wedded wife. To have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. Then the bride normally says the same thing. This bride had, has some trouble committing to Jesus. But, but normally the bride says, well, I, Stephanie, I take you, John, to be my wedded husband. To have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. And the whole point of the illustration is that that's the level of commitment that Jesus made to us. Hi, Jesus. Take y'all, the church, flawed, sinful, messed up people. And I commit to you to have and to hold. From this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. From this day forward until death do us part. But so many of us kind of act like the bride that was on the stage. Do I really have to do that? Are you serious? Like, does it take all of that? So many of us won't make the same type of loyalty and commitment to Jesus and his church. And I know what you're thinking, but Bishop, I really do love Jesus. I just don't feel like I need the church. But that's kind of like a husband saying to his wife, baby, I love you. But I'm not going to come home when you want me to. And I'm going to do whatever I want to do with other females. But I want you to know how much I love you. I love you, boo. See you when I see you. You may not be able to say amen up in here. Just say ouch if you need to. (laughs) But here's the other thing. Proverbs 18 and 22 tells us, he who finds a wife finds a good thing, and here's the shouting part, and finds favor with the Lord. And there's so many times that I've had an opportunity to minister to men that that are trying to get over that that same fear of commitment that I had many, many years ago. And I I helped them to understand, man, one of the things that's so blessed about marriage is that when you commit to one woman and when you're faithful and when you honor God as you serve her and take care of her, you're going to move into a whole different dimension of favor from God. And I know so many individuals, including me, that that's the testimony of my life. God began to give me all kinds of favor when I was willing to commit. And just as God unleashes favor, when a husband finds a wife, it's that same level of favor when we say, God, we're going to commit to your wife, your bride, your church. Because the church, number one, is the bride of Christ. But then secondly and finally, I need to hurry up. I don't know if y'all like this too tough. The church is number two. The body of Christ. It may be hard, but this is helping us up and through here. The church is, number one, the bride of Christ. But then, number two, the church is the body of Christ. Somebody say the body of Christ. I want you to go back to Ephesians for me. And let's go back to Ephesians 1. We looked at it a moment ago. But I want to drop down to verse 22 of Ephesians 1. And I want you to pick me up there. It says this, and God, there it is placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his what? Body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The church is not only the bride of Christ, the church is the body of Christ. So now then we we have to understand, A, the purpose of the body. The the purpose of the body. This is how significant and how close to the heart of God the church is. The church literally is the body of Christ. And what this means is it means that the church was created to be the physical manifestation of Christ in the earth. That's so important. I'm going to say it again. The church was created. The church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. The church was created to be the physical manifestation of Christ in the earth. This is why in the book of Acts, the book of Acts opens up. Jesus ascends to heaven. Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. The church as we know it was born. And all of the miracles and the signs and the wonders that in the Gospels happened through Jesus, guess where they happen now in the book of Acts and beyond? They happen in the church. Why? Because as Jesus goes back to heaven, his body, his physical manifestation on the earth is the church. So often then when a tragedy strikes or when a crisis happens, you know, we often wonder, God, where are you? Where are you, God? Well, the answer is, he's where the church is. Because the church was created to be the physical manifestation of Christ in the earth. So then, what happens when when there's darkness or when there's issues? God, what are you going to do? What is the church going to do? This is why, if you hear us talking a lot about making a difference here at the worship center and the things that we're doing, we do those things on purpose. I was doing an interview just the other week about about us and Kell me crazy and the health uh, food store and stuff that that we're operating and a, and a woman all the way in California. She says, you know, that's really interesting. I've never, never heard of a of a of a church running a franchise like that. She says, well, why do you why do you guys do that? And I read the bio and I read about uh, other things that you guys are doing and, and you guys are doing so much beyond just Sunday morning. Why is that? And I said, because that is the calling of the church. We are called to be the physical manifestation of Christ in the earth. Which means that when there are problems or crisis and when there's darkness, the church is responsible for bringing the glory of God, the light of Christ, into that situation. (laughs) This is why we're passionate about making a difference here. I love St. Teresa of Avila. She, She has this famous poem that is... Been around for a long time, and it sums it up this way. She says, Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks. Compassion on the world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses. All the world, yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are the body. Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world christ has no body on earth but yours god when are you going to heal the situation on my job if you are a believer you are the called out that's why you're there god i need you to move in my marriage you're in your marriage We are the body of Christ. But then you got to understand the purpose of the body, A. But then next you have to understand the makeup of the body, B, the makeup of the body. What do you mean the makeup of the body? Paul continues to roll this out in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 14. He says, even so, the body is not made up of one part but many. Now if the foot should say... Because I am not the hand, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, Well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts. In the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. I I, want to make sure you get this. That means that all of us, this is why the local church is so diverse. Because all of us have a part to play in the body. You may be a hand and somebody else may be an elbow and somebody else may be a foot. Somebody else may be a big toe. Somebody may be heart and somebody else may be spleen. Somebody else may be lungs. But we all have different parts that we are supposed to play in the body. Why is this important? It means then that when you are not connected, watch this, the body is disfigured. We were watching a movie with our kids last night. And uh, uh, one of the characters, it was some Marvel movie, and one of the characters didn't have an arm. It, like, his arm stopped here. And, and, and the kids were like, oh, man, he's disfigured. Oh, that doesn't look good. And literally, Holy Spirit said, that's what it looks like when people aren't connected. We, we, are, we are, as the body, are disfigured. We're crippled. And we wonder why we're not able to affect the change and affect the transformation that God has called us to make in certain areas because you're not connected. Imagine what your life would be like if you didn't have your hand. Imagine what your life would be like if you didn't have your foot. And, and I love the apostle uh, Paul. He says, even the smallest of things that y'all think are not a big deal, they're real big deals. All you got to do is like, like drop something on your toe and try to walk around and figure out how painful that is. Real small thing. But it affects so much in the body, and this is a part of the reason why there are no big eyes and little U's in the body of Christ. You don't ever want to feel like, well, because I'm not doing that, I'm not significant, or my gift is not valued. No, because all of us have a role to play in the body. But the body is disfigured and hindered if you aren't disconnected. So now let's connect the dots. There's a crisis. There's an issue. Darkness is on the rise. And we're saying, God, where are you? And God's saying, church, where are you? And often the church can't be as effective as it's supposed to be because we're not connected. Because we know the purpose of the body. You know the makeup of the body. But I'm going to leave you with this one. We may have to go home and pray after this the blessing of the body, the blessing of the body. Now let's go to Hebrews 10 and we're going to end with this verse, verses rather. Hebrews 10 says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. There it is again. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that brings faith, having our heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us not consider and let us rather consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What is the Hebrew writer talking about? He's teaching us that we need the local church to continue to grow in our faith. This is what he means when he says, And we shouldn't give up meeting together because we have to spur one another on to to love and the good works. He's saying that we need the local church to continue to grow in our faith and walk out the new life that Jesus went to the cross to give us. This is why the cross, family, is made up of those two beams, the vertical and the horizontal beam. See, the vertical beam is about what Jesus did to restore our relationship to God, to redeem us. So that, so that the brokenness that happened when sin entered the world was healed and restored. That's that vertical beam that you and I are now redeemed. Uh, we are now right with God. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Right? So when people think, I'm great because it's me and God. I'm good. I'm good. I got a great relationship with the Lord. I'm good. I don't need the local church. Hold on because there's a whole nother beam. There's a the horizontal beam. And watch this. The horizontal beam is about us walking out this new life that we have with God, with others. All right. You're good. You and God. Great. Now walk it out with other people. No, you missed it. Oh, you, you, you're great. You got a great relationship with the Lord. I got Jesus, Bishop. I'm good. Me and Jesus are good. You know, we talk. I'm straight. I got a vibrant relationship with the Lord. Great. That's the vertical beam. Now, That vibrant relationship with the Lord, we ought to see it as you walk it out in that horizontal reality with other believers. (laughs) The horizontal beam is about us walking out this new life with God, with our brothers and sisters. See, the proof of your new life in Christ is your ability to walk out that new life with believers, guess where? In the local church. I got three amens. Online, I hope y'all tracking with me. Let me give you some scripture on it since I got three amens. First John 4. Ooh, y'all mad at me today. I'm telling you. First John 4 and 20 says, whoever claims to love God, yet hates his brother or sister, is what? Y'all said that. I didn't say that. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. See, this is why the local church is such a blessing. Because you and I need a place that we can walk out our new life in Christ. The Apostle Paul says, continue to work out your soul salvation with fear and trembling. We need a place to work that out. And you know, when we work that out, the local church, when you end up having an encounter with somebody who is just as sinful as you are and you got to love them, God says, all right, you're good with me. Now go ahead and prove it and work it out with your brother and your sister. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that if we want our children to learn how to play volleyball, what do we do? We put them on a volleyball team. If we want them to learn how to play basketball, what do we do? We put them on a basketball team. We want, we want them to learn how to play football. We put them on a football team. But when it comes to learning how to be a better believer, we want to do it all by ourselves. Oh, teach, Bishop. I'm doing it. Holy Spirit, thank you. The great theologian Charles Spurgeon said this. He says, I believe that every Christian ought to be joined to some visible church. That it is, That is his plain duty. According to the scriptures, God's people are not dogs. Else they might go about one by one, but they are sheep. And therefore, they should be in flocks. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Since I got two more claps right there. Let me close with a couple of other quotes. I've been fascinated by this because... I have been watching throughout COVID these last 21 months and I've been watching different dynamics that's been going on in our country, particularly as it relates to believers in the local church. And so I've been studying this and studying this and looking at the old literature and new literature and I stumbled upon this, this noted theologian and pastor who said something and it rocked me to my core. And, and, and he said this, he says, if you are not a member of the church you regularly attend, you may well be going to hell. I don't mean for a second that you literally have to have your name on a membership card in a church somewhere to go to heaven. I believe in justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. But at the same time in the New Testament, it seems that the local church is there to verify or falsify our claims to be Christian. The man in 1 Corinthians 5 who was sleeping with his father's wife thought of himself as a Christian. Let me just pause here before I read the rest of it to tell you if you've been doing your soul devotion with us, we read about this recently. In the, in the church at Corinth, there was, there was this church member who claimed that he's good, I'm good with God, me and Jesus are great. But yet the, the life that he was living, he was sleeping with his father's wife and one of the things that Paul says to the church is that you guys have to say something about that. He goes on and he says it this way. He says, confidence that we've truly been saved shouldn't rest on an emotional experience or a prayer we prayed during an altar call years ago. If you do not live a life marked by love towards others, the Bible has no encouragement for you to think that you're a Christian. None. Do you want to know that your new life is real? Commit yourself to a local church of saved sinners. Try to love them. But don't just do it for three weeks. Don't just do it for six months. Do it for years. And I think you'll find out, and others will too, whether or not you love God, the truth will show itself. If you cannot say amen up in here, up in here, you can say, "Ouch." When I read this quote, that's what I said: "Ouch." But then it made me think about me and my serial dating phase. I remember when my wife and I moved here, and let me tell you something. My wife is the great one of the greatest gifts that God has ever blessed me with. Bar none. My wife is my best friend. I wouldn't be half of the person I am without her. I mean, we have an absolutely incredible marriage. But it wasn't like that in the beginning. We got married and shortly after we got married, we moved here and moved here thinking God was calling us to the city to do one thing and later found out. That that we really were called to do to do this and and it was a very very tumultuous time and we were trying to juggle we had a home in Florida and we built a home here and we we had all kinds of stress going on and 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 I'm still in my head I'm still in my head I'm I'm a newlywed and I've still got my fears and concerns about all of the marriages that I had seen fall apart growing up as a kid and and I remember one day I remember one day y'all pray for me I got delivered from this but don't judge me because I'm gonna tell you my story one day I was getting ready to go to the church and my wife and I were arguing and we were arguing and I had my attitude and she had our attitude my wife is from Detroit you hear me so so she had she had that Detroit thing going on and we were arguing and my wife said do you want this and I you know I'm like well you gonna call me out You know what I responded and said, I don't know. And then she drove off and then I went on to church. And as I was driving to church, the reverend was driving to church. The Holy Spirit said, um. You know you're wrong for that. I'm like, but God, but she did this and she did that. And I can't believe she did that. And he said, yeah, but it's really not about what she did. He said, so the real issue is not her. I'm like, but God, but you know, she said that that wasn't right. And no, all the stress I'm under and everything I'm going through. God said, no, the real problem is even though you're married, you still got a dater mentality. He said, you're still self-centered. You're still independent. And you're still critical. And until you give up being self-centered and independent and critical, you will never see the real beauty that I have blessed you with. And right there, driving to the church, tears started running down my face. And I said, God, help me. Help me, God. I'm so afraid. I'm, I'm scared to commit, God, because I don't want things to happen. And I, if I can have one foot out, it'll be easier when it falls apart. And God said, you got a son be delivered for being self-centered. It's not about you from being independent. I brought her into your life and I blessed you because she is a part of where you all together are going. But then he said, you got to let go of that critical spirit, son. I'm not critical of you. All of your flaws, all of your mistakes. He said, you got to let that go. He said, "I, I sent my son to die for all of your stuff. And right there, on the way to church, I had church. On the way to church, God met me. And it was in me giving up, rejecting, being self centered, independent, and critical that God began to bless me with a marriage beyond my wildest dreams. And I say that, and I appreciate your hand claps, and I appreciate that as it relates to my marriage. But in a real way, I'm talking to some people this morning and that's what the Lord is saying about you and his church. That that until you reject the self-centered, independent, critical perspective, you won't see the blessing that the local church is meant to be in your life. I'm talking to some people that have been hurt and disappointed and let down by the local church and maybe even spiritual leaders in your past. But God says, but, but I, I need you to know that you can't do life alone. You, you can't grow in this if you don't have any way to work it out in this. The real essence of whether or not you're growing in this is how you're doing with this. God says, that's why you need the local church. There's darkness all over our city, darkness all over the communities we serve in. And God said, and I created a church called the Worship Center. And, And you have gifts and talents that the body needs. The body can't do certain things because you're not connected. So many of you are leaders in your industry. And it's been a blessing to the world. But God says, it's time for you to use that gift that I gave you for the kingdom of God. You're making a difference for you. People know your name. You're amazing. But God says, but the church has need of you. Because the body is crippled and deformed when you're not connected. That song, I need you to survive, is so real. Because that's what the Lord is saying for us this morning as a local church family. We need each other. I need you. You need me. Look at somebody around you and say, I need you. I need you. I need you. You need me. We need each other. Look at somebody you had not seen and just tell them, I need you. Online family, you may be in South Africa. You may be in another part of the country, but we need each other. God says, that's why you need the local church. You are important to me. And I need you to survive. I need you to survive. I need you to survive. Hallelujah, Jesus. Father, we bless your name for your word, Lord. Help us to be the people in the church you called us to be. Not independent, but interdependent on one another. I prayed for you. You prayed for me. I love you. I need you to survive. Father, I pray that that is the sentiment of our heart. I pray, Father, that we embrace this calling to be the church, to be connected. Lord, help us to walk out these one another's. In the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, we pray. And the people of God said amen. Come on, if you receive this word, give God your best praise this morning. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Bishop Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.